This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we're going to be talking to someone I am amazed I have never had on this show, never been on coast all these years. I've known my guest for many, many, many years, and uh, is a lovely guy, and he's going to have a friend with him, Ryan Keaton, and if you're on Unknown Country at all, you'll know that Ryan is daily live streaming on Facebook his uh, efforts to uh, film or tape UFOs and having a lot of success at it. And as in John uh, Martin and uh, others are also having a lot of success with it. So, you know, I, I'm interested in more people trying this because apparently it's now not hard to do if you're patient, dedicated, and if you have some, especially some kind of mental interaction. And we're going to be talking about all of that. I'd like to introduce my two guests now. Uh, we're going to uh, welcome John Bro Wilkie and... Ryan Keaton to Dreamland. I'm so glad to have you guys on. And John, I apologize. It's been way too long. John has a new book out. It's called The Solar Obliteration Experiment. It is a very excellent description of what he has done in his life and how he got started in this and exactly what it is he does do. And then we're going to be talking at the same time to Ryan, uh, about uh, uh, about what he's doing. So let's get started. Let's start with you, John. And I, I, how did you get into this in the beginning? You were, tell us a little bit about your background. You, you're in the military at one point. Tell us about that and then how you suddenly became interested in UFOs or they became interested in you. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, Willie, there's some parallels I think you might recognize, but um, as I went along my path, I have found that um, it's very possible that these things have been in my life um, since the beginning. I might be a second or third generation uh, experiencer, but um, I, I've done a lot of shows, and uh, when people ask me to um, talk about my book it would take an hour and a half just to uh you know tell the beginning so i want to truncate this for you the best i can and um before we leave i want to make two personal notes to uh whitley but um so i'll my first job out of high school was uh i was a engine mechanic on fighter jets f-15s out of eglin air force base in florida now, no one had really heard about this in the uh, media at that time, but we had a house off base, a couple of friends of mine, in a little place called Gulf Breeze. Maybe Whitley will recognize, you know, without any knowledge of what that meant. One of the premier UFO hotspots of America in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was there probably five or six years before, uh, I think it was Ed Walters had taken his amazing pictures and um, boy, we literally would um, spend a lot of time on that beach where he took some of his really dramatic uh, zero point energy spheres. And uh, 
to this day, I find Mr. Walter's videos to be amongst some of the most amazing that I have seen. Now, also, I want to interject during this time when I was in the Air Force, I would be my unit, uh, the 59th out of the 33rd uh, Tactical Fighter Wing. We'd go on TDYs a lot. And I did get a chance to uh, go out to Nellis Air Force Base for the red flag. And to make a long story as short as I can, um, due to some airmen having too much fun at the casinos and stuff, they decided to put us um, in barracks. Well, this is the story they told us to make sure we get to uh, work on time and not be intoxicated, I guess. And uh, they put us on a bus, took us way out in the middle of nowhere to this big gate by a mailbox. And uh, when we went to the gate, uh, the bus would be entered by a bunch of fellows with machine guns and looking at us very closely. But it was in a place that at the time they referred to the dry lake or the groom lake, the S4. And I really didn't see anything uh, remarkable there, except I've spoken on um, some other shows and I said that I had seen um, a drone, a UAP, whatever, before people had known about drones. At the time, they referred to the Dark Star. This is not a Top Gun reference. I want to straighten that out because I've taken some flack for that comment. But uh, it was just a small, looked like a flying saucer that uh, had detachable wings on it. And it was just a drone. I also saw a uh, amazing uh, demonstration of a laser cannon. Uh, besides that, I didn't find anything remarkable about that. And... Uh, I want to say probably 10 years or so after that, seven or eight years, I was living in Hollywood. Well, Here's another. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Yes. We just passed by a flying saucer and a laser cannon in a few seconds. And you well, these are top secret things. Just hold on, hold on. Let me, let me ask my question. Um, tell us first, now you say drone flying saucer. Did you know for certain that it was our drone or not? Well, it was in a hangar, and I was taken into a place that the world had not heard of by then, and I'm, like, trying not to go off into the weeds. I was getting to that, but uh, nowadays people know it as Area 51. Right. And um, there was no good reason why um, a friend of mine and a oh, co-worker sure. were taken to look at an engine, a jet engine on a stand, just to verify that there was oil in the tank. It really didn't make any sense, but I got a couple hours off, you know, during doing the uh, red flag exercises with the 59th uh, squadron out of Eglin. And as we we're walking down this uh, tarmac by these old, it looked like a World War II or a, a Korean War era um, facility, I looked into a hangar and saw it looked like a black flying saucer with wings clipped on standing on wheels. And nobody told us not to look over. I didn't think anything of it, but uh, it looked pretty cool. And they called it the Dark Star. Again, this was way before, you know, Top Gun, Maverick, where the Dark Star Aurora jet is flying. There's nothing like it. It was a uh, drone um, before people had ever heard about it. and. And then I saw a C-130 flying out over a range um, that shot a laser cannon through a lens, and it hit what looked like a workhouse or outhouse. 
and it just evaporated instantly into a steam. It looked almost like a magician's bad, you know, magic trick or something. My point on bringing that up is entering Area 51, as they call it, that was the most extreme thing that I saw. And I you know, completely well, forgot well, about just, it. Just hold on. Hold yes. on. Uh, okay, so you have seen a drone or flying saucer in a hangar long yes. before drones were something that anyone outside of the secret world knew about. Uh, you've seen a laser cannon being yes. fired. Yes. Yeah, this is 81? 1981, I believe, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, a laser cannon being fired, and a few years later, there would be pulsed beam weapons fired at UFOs toward uh, U uh, that were near uh, shuttle mission STS-48 out of Pine Gap in Australia. Um, in Australia. Yeah. And oddly enough, I know the person who probably was one of the people who was very responsible for creating these things. So it's a small world, isn't it? And folks, I'll go into him a little bit more in my book, Them, which is going to be out soon. Don't worry. It is, it's nearly finished. Um, I know my friends are telling me I've been saying that Them was nearly finished for six months. Well, that's true. But it is actually at the proofreaders right now. I, I, I hasten to add. Okay. Now, uh, so you've seen these things. Well, my point was we've had this technology for a long time, and they don't even admit to it now. And, well, right, uh, exactly. And and who knows whose it was? I mean, were we flying the object that was in the hangar or not? We don't know. Well, it really looked like just a piece of uh, hardware that they, you know, it didn't look like an alien capture or anything. It, it completely was human technology, in my opinion. And it had wings clipped onto it. And when this thing takes off, as it raises into the air, it drops the wings almost like a water skier will drop one of their skis when they want to slalom ski, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a conventional UFO as we you know, see in the public. I only brought that up because of the name originally was the Dark Star. And um, I want to say about six or seven years after that, I was in Hollywood and I saw a... Um, a television broadcast from this fella out of Las Vegas who announced the first time I ever heard of Area 51. And I just casually thought, that's funny. I believe I've been there. This George Knapp fellow, maybe you know him. <laughs> I know, know George very well. well listen, hold on a minute, John. Yes. Folks, free Dreamlanders, we're going to take a brief break and please follow the instructions that we will lay out for you enticingly, I hope, and subscribe to unknowncountry.com. John is a subscriber and uh, recent subscriber, and he's enjoying himself uh, a lot. I think Kevin is on the site too. I'm not sure, but uh, in any case, it's worth doing because there's no other place in the world like it, folks. There's no other community like it. All right, we'll be right back. We're talking to John Bro Wilkie, and in a minute, we'll also be talking to Ryan Keaton, who is live streaming. Uh, his UFO sightings from through Facebook uh, nightly. And we were just talking before about John's early experiences at Groom Lake, which sort of 
might have created a bit of an interest in UFOs, but it, but but there's something more that happened then, and that now now we go back to October the twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four, about twelve or thirteen years after your experiences at Broom Lake. You're working as a construction contractor or with a construction contractor, and you see something. You see something. Where are you? You're in Glendale, right, Arizona, uh, uh, California. Yeah. Bear with me. My, my allergies are kicking me here. Excuse me. So anyways, yeah, we're jumping forward. Um, I wanted to interject a story first from when George Knapp came on TV and announced that. I uh, went to bed that night and had some amazing dreams. And I started to remember a lot of things that had been almost as if they were removed from my memory. You can get into that later or at all if you wish. But in uh, 1994, you know, early in the year, we had that great earthquake in Los Angeles, and I was right on top of it. It's just undescribable what that experience was. I didn't realize that I could be so scared. So I was with a, con a coyote construction worker, somebody that doesn't have their license, but, you know, People hire him for a discount. He's very good. And uh, but I was talking for some reason about UFOs a lot. And uh, he he was angry at me this morning. He was that morning telling me that uh, my job would be in jeopardy because he was fearing my sanity might not be there. And uh, so he went into the Builders Emporium. I think you guys call him in California, y'all. Um, I stayed out on a picnic table having a hot dog clear blue sky and the first thing that uh, i saw was a falling star going from uh, west to east but i tracked it for about three miles and um when it got over the glendale uh over by dodger stadium chavez ravine it slowed down and started doing a corkscrew motion and to the best of my knowledge that is not possible with a uh, falling star, and I shouldn't be seeing them in, you know, at 10:30 in the morning or whatever. So I'm livid. I, um, I'm fit to be tied, as they say. My boss came out. I wanted so bad to tell him, but we had just had that conversation. We get in the van. He turns on the radio, and there's a story about this uh, young lady, uh, pilot, uh, twin engine. I think it was a Cherokee or something that um, she had lost power in both of her engines and dead stick landed this plane in the infield at Dodger Stadium. And I'm thinking, I just watched this happen. And uh, in the interview, they had a short interview and the lady said she just saw a flash over her cockpit and uh, both engines simultaneously went out. I believe Ryan knows this. Um, I have a background uh, with aircraft, obviously. And these are independent systems. They are not dependent on one another. One going out would not take out the other. The only thing I know that could do that would be an EMP. So, so, so you actually saw some kind of a of an effect on an aircraft. I mean, I it's amazing. I you know, you 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 have you have you have been around, John. <laughs> Telling oh, you, it just that's just the beginning. Uh, now. Ryan, uh, let let me let me just shift to you now for a few minutes yes, and ask you how you 
came to start doing this? What what drew, drew you into this crazy world of ours? I don't think I'd... I've always been interested in the sky and looking at stars and everything else. I think it drew me into it. Um, I think there was, there was, I had walked outside of my house one night, looked out, I'd seen something that looked like a star, but the way it twinkled just didn't look right. Um, I looked out, my wife came out, she looked at it and she goes, yeah, that's kind of odd. And I looked out behind me behind the house here. And there was something else kind of looked like it was in the sky, but it was like floating almost like it was a boat in water. And, um, you know, as time went on for the first couple of weeks there, you know, I thought I was losing my mind. Um, when, when was this? This was about seven months ago. Seven months ago. And was there anything in your life that would have started this up? I mean, any, had you, been you had an interest in were you reading about ufos or talking about them at all i've been really into like uh bob lazar and and george knapp you know i've watched some of the joe rogan stuff with, with some of that and i've always been interested like in the sky and you know ufos but i've never personally seen anything um so when i saw something in the sky i, I i'm extremely curious and um i want to figure out what's what's up there um, so that's got me into, uh, you know, wanting to to take pictures, and then you know, as of lately, the the live stream stuff. So it drew you in in a subtly subtle way. Yes. And now the question that is going to be on the lips of everybody who goes to the live stream, and you'd be able to do that through unknown country uh it'll be linked on the uh on the uh dreamland show page but john always puts in the in the uh comments area when it's happening and yes. when when do you usually do it uh uh ryan i'm doing it five six nights a week weather permitting um, a lot of the times i can't see some stuff on the ground but most of the activity i see i need it to be you know uh, not as cloudy. Um, right. so I, I try to do it five to six times a week, uh, as much as possible. Um, it's one of the things that I really enjoy. I've had a, the past few years of my life personally has been kind of rough. So this is kind of given me some kind of a purpose. Um, you know, as I've recognized over the, the past few months or so is there's not a lot of younger people that seem to be out doing this stuff. And yeah, I really right. enjoy it. And I want to share it with the world. I don't want to keep it for myself. I want everyone to kind of, uh, you know, enjoy it like I am. And, you know, that's that was the point of starting the live is I want people to come out. I've had people come out with me on my lives. I had a couple come out a few weeks ago. Um, we're planning something um, here in the next few weeks where I'm going to try to get a group of us together and start going out and sky watching and you know, it kind of helps because I've kind of seen some stuff and I know some spots that I've been going to occasionally. And that's where I'm going to start. I, I want to kind of start a movement where everybody's doing it um, and, you know, kind of. Yeah. That's on the torch. I think that's an important re part of this. And I think it's it's one of the main reasons you guys are here, because it, we can do this. And if we the more we do it, I think the better we're going to maybe make contact work and free dreamlanders speaking of making contact work 
come into contact with us. You can actually get involved in this. You can not be passive to it. You can become active. You could go out there and do this. Mm -hmm. Subscribers could too. We'll be right back. This is Whitley Strieber. It's Dreamland. We're talking to John Bro Wilkie and Ryan Keaton about UFOs and seeing UFOs and actually filming UFOs on a regular basis. Uh, Melinda Leslie, uh, John Martin both do this on a regular basis. Melinda has been doing it for years out in Sedona. John does it in Georgia. You, We've had John on the show, and you know he plays his guitar and it's, sits out on his deck and films them and they're really what he films are completely indisputable i mean he they're not passing satellites now i, I want to ask you uh ryan how you identify these in other words there's lots of satellites flying around out there and it's easy to make a mistake what what tells you that that's not what you're you're taping well i use you know i've got binoculars telescopes i have the flight radar app um and whenever i'm out doing this stuff i'm gonna try to find a logical explanation for what i'm seeing and um that's real important to me i don't and you know of course i make mistakes i'm still new to this i'm learning um you know and that's a good good reason you know why me and john have been out and he's kind of helped mentoring me you know you know, because there is times where you get overly excited and you want it to be a certain thing, but you kind of, you kind of got to learn how to uh, put a brake pedal on yourself and 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 make sure that you're you're uh, screening all your stuff. Make sure you're looking at your flight radar, looking through your uh, uh, binoculars, and trying to find an expo, uh, um, find a logical explanation for this stuff before you actually say, "Hey, look, this this is probably an un unidentified object." Now, the unidentified objects show up often enough for you to justify live streaming your efforts. Yes. It's been every night for six, seven months. And, you know, I forgot to ask you exactly where you are. I don't think all of our listeners know. I'm on the northwest side of uh, uh, San Antonio um, off of, um, I don't know if, uh, if people are familiar with Government Canyon at all. But I'm I grew up in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm right there by by uh, um, Government Canyon. Um, so I see a lot of my activity. It's over Government Canyon, kind of going back towards Camp Bullis um, in that area. And that's another reason why this has got me really involved. Is that, so as, a, uh, as soon as I started going down and started doing some research on Government Canyon itself, and then... Yeah, tell uh, us a little been, bit about it. Tell us a little bit about it. So uh, Government Canyon back in the late 1800s was actually a, um, a military outpost. Um, and then in 95, I believe it was, um, there are several entities that bought out Government Canyon. And what it actually is, it was supposedly uh, for the aquifer and trying to save it because this area of San Antonio is growing so big. And they wanted to preserve and make sure that the water would stay clean in this area. But what was strange is they didn't open it to the public until 2005. And I have a friend of mine that went out there, and I've been out to Government Canyon too, but there's signs out there that if you go out to the north, uh, northeast of Government Canyon, there's trails on Government Canyon, but there is no trails that go back on that side of Government Canyon. Um, I've learned that there's a the huge cave system underneath there. 
And then as I was learning about that, I came across, there's a new station in San Antonio that's been trying to get on to Camp Bullis uh, for Camp Stanley. And Camp Stanley is actually a, uh, is believed to be the largest weapons uh, depot for the CIA in the nation. And as, you know, I kept reading, kind of doing some research, there are some people that believe that Camp Stanley actually has an underground base. And it just kind of clicked in my head, you know, as I'm watching some of these other people when they talk about unidentified flying objects, is, you know, the CIA seems to have some kind of plug in that somehow, whether it be otherworldly or if it's just, just the military, who knows? I have no idea. And that's one of the big things I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, well, you're not alone. I, I yeah. got those things too. Uh, there was a, um, back in the 60s, there was an explosion out that way, uh, an atomic explosion when a an atomic artillery shell accidentally detonated. Wow. And it was somewhere near Government Canyon. I And I would, my guess is wow. those signs are there to not to warn people away from radiation because so they're not going to do that but to warn people away from uh to try to prevent people from going up in the area where there may still be residual radiation uh, when i when, when i when that happened uh it the explosion was noticed all over san antonio it was in the newspapers and after a short time uh men in uh what we now know are hazmat suits with geiger counters started coming through my neighborhood checking for for i guess for uh fragments of plutonium and uh so it was quite an event and subsequently we were always told that camp stanley was abandoned and it's not it never was so it's a real interesting area that you're in i i can well understand another thing limestone this whole region from south of san antonio all the total edwards aquifer region is basically limestone you know another great area of limestone in the world is in england where the crop circles are formed there's something about limestone i don't know what that sort of attracts all of this so i can well understand now your interest and your success, it makes a lot of sense. So, John, let's go back to you now, if we can. And uh, you now have a long life in this. And it's, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about solar obliteration and your first solar obliteration experiments. First, tell us what it is. And then I'm going to briefly describe my own experiences with this, which I have had very surprisingly. Um, but tell us what solar obliteration is, how you found it, and how why it is you think you are filming genuinely anomalous objects when you do this. Well, I want to interject an idea here, Whitley, that uh, the book is it's really about not claiming but uh, it's uh, the documentation of an urban legend, you know, because I'm not demanding anyone believe what I say. But we I can't do that yet. Yes. We're not in that position. None of us are. So, yeah, I agree. I have an old saying that I just made up that if you 
open a window into another realm, it uh, just it just uh, makes sense that whatever is on the other side of that curtain feels a breeze. <laughs> well and, said, uh, John. Very well said. For me, the UFO phenomenon is kind of like the gateway drug to other paranormal things, too. And my point is, my experience was when you see it, whatever it is, it has a tendency to like come closer to you or see you, too. And um, I'm getting off in the weeds here, but Ryan came up from uh, San Antonio about a week ago to visit, to meet me personally. And uh, we did a live stream. Nothing much happened. But uh, on the way home, I got the hell scared out of me and I had one of the most amazing, um, you know, experiences of my life in this field. So anyways, um, I want to jump back to. Well, no, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. I, you can't just tell us yeah, you and then jump back. Give us the experience and then jump back. Well, and I have a reason why I bring this. I'm so proud of Ryan uh, for, you know, being the next generation to uh, come into this. Because in my day, Whitley, everybody knew your story. and um, But nowadays, everybody for a couple of years knew my story. But nowadays, people really, it hasn't carried over. It's a generational jump, right? So almost by fate, by synchronicity, I know you don't really believe in that. I want your podcast. No, no, wait a minute. I don't say I don't believe in synchronicity. I just had a well, big show on synchronicity, and no, I do very much believe in it. I, I was making kind of a pun because I watched your podcast. Very interesting. And uh, it just seems faded that I met Ryan. But um, we were down by a place called Stillhouse Hollow Lake, just south of uh, Harker Heights, which is adjacent to Killeen, just south on the border of Fort Hood. You can expect just about anything out of there. And uh, I, it's not unusual for me to hear tank practice at my home here in Killeen. So we did the live stream. We didn't, it was kind of chilly out there and windy. Nothing really much uh, of note happens. He finds a lot of his things in capturing individual stills even more so because you can sky watch for hours and get skunked. It's like fishing, right? So we decided to call it a day. Uh, we drive south out of this little park right by the bridge. And I happened to look up and it was a clear sky. And I saw something that looked to me like I just commented, not even thinking about it, that it looks like there's a delta shaped cloud. And then we made a sharp left 90 degree turn and we went a couple miles down the road and I saw it again, almost like it was pacing us. I don't know the orientation of this area, but um, you know, it was a Delta is not an acute triangle. It is a very precise, uh, you know, it fits within the Fibonacci curve. It's a ratio almost like pi 3.1 to one or something like that. It's very specific, a Delta shape versus a triangle. And over several minutes, this cloud, that's what it looked like. It was kind of gray in the darkness. That's why I don't know even why my eyes saw it. I casually mentioned that this thing was there again. And Ryan had more faith in my sighting than I did. And he jumped out and he snapped a couple pictures. And I'm worried that the local sheriff is going to come up and want to know why we're hanging out in front of these people's houses. I'm like, Ryan, let's get out of here. I shouldn't have done that. I was just an old paranoid guy, I guess. And uh, 
he showed me the picture uh, on his uh, cell phone because we don't have video cameras. And it was very distinctly a, uh, a cute triangle delta shape. And he took three pictures. It did not change. So uh, I'm pushing him. We drive down a little bit down the road. And I'm giving him a high five. And I notice a light out of my left eye, like there's a car coming up behind us. I'm thinking, the sheriff didn't want to know. I look back, and there is a huge three-pointed triangle craft that looked like it was the size of an aircraft carrier. At first, I thought the mountain was on fire. And then I looked a little closer, and I realized that it wasn't a fire. It was like a light on the on the nose, quote, unquote, and a light on the rear, and a perfect triangle with this orange, yellow light. And Brian spun around, and he saw it, too. So maybe I can let him give his version of what yeah I'm yeah go ahead ryan give us your version yeah so as we were coming back after taking the picture of the delta and you know the camera for the delta that we saw the camera doesn't know justice when i was standing there looking at it in person you could tell it was it just looked off um but as we were leaving to go back to john's house and he had said hey look back here and some back here and I look back and the, the the three lights and it looked like almost like the base was coming down like this and you could see the orange lights and they were coming all the way down and the the one regret I I I because as soon as we turned around I had I was almost able to take a picture of it John was like no 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 let's get closer let's get closer but I should have took the picture of it but seeing that was just just amazing you know especially after going up to meet him and Colleen and he was like, oh, I haven't been seeing anything up here. And then, you know, I get up there and then we see that and I'm like, Oh, this is just, it, it looks like a space shuttle was landing in the lake. I mean, but you, bigger than that. And, uh, I don't think I slept for the next 30 hours. And I've got a lot of experience. I did not expect to be scared. Then I made the mistake of recording this. I made the mistake of reporting this to a UFO reporting agency. And uh, that's like talking to the amazing Randy. Hmm. You know, who they did, who did you report time. it to? Uh, should I say the name? Sure, okay? say it. I mean, it's, it's called API uh, Recording. Okay. And I had noticed uh, that I think it was Ben Henson from a Factor Fiction show. He had commented that only one in 450 uh, sightings gets reported. And I think I know why, because I wasn't talking to this fellow for 10 minutes. And he was trying to tell me that um, my past experience, he gave me a, a theory of some doctors that uh, talking about, uh, you know, almost like that your experience can cloud your judgment, you know, periodolia. Um, I'm, I have so much uh, background that I start to see things that aren't there. I mean, it was really insulting, and my ego wouldn't let me, uh, you know, admit to the fact that he thought it was a cloud 30 miles away that we photographed. Well, if I could say something real quick. Yeah, go ahead. You know, this is one thing I think about the younger generation and how all of this is progressing is I think you're, you're kind of raised from a small age, you're from a young age to live inside of this box. And if you go anywhere outside of this box, people immediately call you crazy or, you know, that you just don't know what you're talking about. And I think sometimes um, it takes one or two people to kind of come out and kind of show you some stuff and show you that something may be different. And maybe you can open your mind a little bit. 
And I think people are so scared of saying that they've seen stuff that, you know, I think that's one reason why this, you know, going out and doing stuff like I'm doing, uh, it may kind of, you know, not carry over well with the younger generation just because they're scared of going out of that box that, that you're, you're told to be stuck in, you know, from a year, very young age. And I'm just at an age now where I just don't, you know, I want, I want to believe that something's there or something's going on, but you know, if I can get proof and show you, then, you know, maybe you can open your mind a little bit. I'm not saying you have to believe it or you, you don't just, you know, at least um, let me show you and then you can make an uh, opinion, opinion on it, but don't make a judgment until you've seen, you know, the proof. And part of the, uh, sorry, Willie, no, no, part, of the point of my, part of the point of my book, um, Making of an Urban Legend, is there is such a cost to people that muster the courage and go into the public eye about this. A lot of folks don't know, I've followed your works for many years, the great cost to you for, um, you know, writing your books and speaking of what you do there's a certain um, amount of the population that's fine with it. And then there's a large amount of the population that just tears you to pieces. I don't know how you do it. Well, also a large part that doesn't care. Well, you know, let me tell you why I do it and why I'm you're on the air, why I'm still doing this. It was explained to me by my wife many years ago. And I, you know, I said to her, and why don't we just go walk away from this? We're not getting anywhere. And she said, that's not the point here is what is happening my wife ann knew an awful lot of things she was a genius she was and so nice to me she was yeah she was a nice person too very sweet in any case even to me which is hard because i'm not the easiest person in the world to live with she used to say well you know at least i know one thing i'm married to the most annoying man in the world so if another man comes along in my life it's not going to be as annoying he's not going to be as annoying as you she didn't choke you to death in your sleep so that's you know, <laughs> no she didn't have that but anyway here's what she said she said this is never going to come completely into focus because that's not what it's about she said questions that we can't answer and can't leave alone you know what they do they increase human intelligence and that goes right into dna and there there's somebody here who wants very badly for that not to happen but you guys are out there facing this question every day and bringing it to the public and other people face the question but their babies are born and their babies have higher intelligence levels than they did. You know, the ancient aliens people talk about in the distant past, aliens coming here and, and, and altering our DNA. Anne used to say, it's not in the distant past. It's now. It's happening now. That's what all this is about. And that's why the questions are going to stay unanswered. We're never going to get quite enough information to where we can say, okay, this is this and this and this. And that's why whatever that guy, I forget his name, and you don't even need to say it again, was talking to he didn't understand that. And he's part of the, without realizing it probably, he is part of the process of resistance to oh. this increase in human intelligence. Somebody is here helping us. They're just doing it in ways that we can't understand. But she did understand it. Wait, let's go on now. 
where were we guys help me here i don't know where i've forgotten i want to interject again too here willie you had mentioned that after all these years we hadn't got a chance to talk again now i had had my 15 minutes of fame with my little diagram because i believe now i I know more than i did back then that there's multiple ways that an average citizen can go out for themselves and prove anomalous things yeah but in the process if we had another couple hours okay um by approximately 1998 i disappeared the cost to me for pursuing this was i became homeless for a couple years and i had lost several manuscripts i lost everything i had in the process of this without giving you the long version. And um, if you can believe there was something good came out of the COVID pandemic, inexplicably, uh, I had one manuscript that I had written, it took 12 years, returned to me. And uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, you meet so many people, but I met you twice at conventions. And yeah, I do remember that, of course. I had uh, about 30 seconds and I was handing you everything, including the manuscript. I know now it was a faux pas, but at the time, what I didn't have the time to tell you was very bad things were happening because of my uh, you know, exposure to this. I, I had things come in my house. I had when you say things come in your house, can you? Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, you know, this is, I'm being sincere and I'm not trying to sell anything to someone. You know how this goes. Um, Yeah, but folks do go on Amazon or wherever you buy books and get the solar obliteration experiment. Um, Obviously, it would help him a lot. So, okay, let's go. And plus, it's a very cool, fascinating book you will find. The story of what a person goes through, because I started out as an unknown, you know, ne'er-do-well, and by the end of it, I had met legends like yourself. I had been on every television show. Um, I got a call out of the blue for an audition, and if you can imagine, as I'm doing UFO conventions, I got hired to be a space alien on a couple network shows. And (laughs) and going up in front of these crowds going in front of these crowds and inevitably they want to know what I do for a day job. And I tell them that and I lost a lot of credibility, but nonetheless, it was very true. But um, so I had just done the Art Bell show and I came home one night and uh, my girl at the time, we're living in an apartment in Reseda, beautiful downtown Reseda in the middle of the San Fernando Valley. And she tells me, John, I'm very concerned. There's, a car outside that I think is looking at us. I feel like these people are stalking and, and okay, I just, well, I went over to the window, which was in the kitchen, a very thin little window looking down from the second. And, you know, I'm a hundred percent sincere and honest here. It was a dark blue Ford sedan with two fellows with suits and ties and sunglasses looked up at me and smiled. I'm thinking, <laughs> yes. It's such a familiar story to me, John, from so many right people. At, right after I've been on Art's show, okay? And uh, I'm thinking my friends must be playing with me because literally the Men in Black movie had just come out and it was an exact duplicate. Give me a break, guys, right? So I'm going to run down and come up behind them and say, who are you? I'm going to sneak up on them. 
I run out the front door, go down the stairwell. Couldn't have been 15 seconds, and this car was gone. And I was oh. hearing back in the days, telephones were actually plugged into the wall, and I'm hearing clicks in my phone. And then I got a call from a guy at JPL because he looked at some of my video, and he says, well, I want to uh, have somebody talk to you. And I uh, say, okay. He calls me up, and he identifies himself as, you know, Agent Smith or whatever. I, it wasn't very funny. He said he was from the N he told me he was from the NSA. And I got a little scared. And I'm literally telling him, you know, I'm not a subversive. I'm not, I'm just trying to show information. And he said, no, no, we know that already. And he just basically said to me, what you believe you're looking at is what you are looking at. I And I said, that's an amazing thing to say. Can you like send me a letter, back me up. No, that's not what we do. But it really scared me. I'm still not sure, you know, but I said, well, why would then would you, you know, be looking at somebody like me? And his answer was, well, we got to get our information from somewhere. So I'm about 98%, you know, sure that this happened. And not long it after. It was surreal, that, you mean? I mean, you know yes. what happened, but I mean, that well, it, that it, yeah, okay. That he was who he said it was. And then one day, uh, not long after that, my friend, Sean Creighton Harrison, I was he's talked to you before. We're a couple feet away from one another, standing up. My girlfriend at the time, she was a court reporter and she's practicing stenography. And I noticed through the wall, something ran between us and I got a good look at it and took a left turn and ran through the back room. And I'm not gonna say anything I looked up at my friend and he's just locked on me and he's just turning white. The hair on his arms is standing up and he started, did you see that? And I said, yes, I did. And he asked me, well, what was it then? Like he's smart aleck about it. He's expecting me to say orbs or something. I said, well, it was this little gray fella about three foot tall. I've never seen anything like that, but I could have put my hand on it, it was so close. And, um, to me, it looked almost like an x-ray. I mean, the stereotypical, and I just want to inject here, before Whitley Strieber's communion story came out, I don't remember the, uh, the cultural icon of the little gray face with the almond eyes, you know, no. and every, it's almost like that was your contribution. I never we, saw Annie and I brought that into the world. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure. Now, there's no, no one on the planet doesn't know what that is. That no. was just one. Wait, of wait, wait, let's 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 roll back here for a second. Where exactly were you when this happened? I was on in the living room in my apartment. All the lights were on. And when we were when talking did this about happen? the subject in Reseda. In Reseda, but what year? Um, I want to say that was probably right around the same time that I met you for the first time. You know, and this is what I'm saying. I'm handing you ninety eight. 1997, 1998. Uh, Very um, rough time in my life, boy. I'm telling you. To we nearly became homeless around then. Yeah, people don't understand the cost of deciding to tell people about this. But we yeah. are literally having a conversation about this when it ran through the room. Now, um, later that night, and I think you saw the little cartoon. I was awakened because I drew a little picture by a little red ball floating through the room. Back then, nobody was talking about orbs. We didn't know what that was. My first thought was somebody was shining a, a laser from a gun sight. 
on my wall. But then I realized that it was uh, free floating. And Ryan doesn't know these. He, I'm going to freak him out, right? But then <laughs> it did a right turn and it was free floating. It wasn't on the wall. And I'm just, even when I see these things to this day, I'm in disbelief. I talk myself out of it. I'm like hypnotized. Just watch it. It came up alongside my temple and arced. And it was like somebody did an old flashbulb on a camera, blinded my right eye, but my left eye was fine. And I got mad and I jumped out of bed. I went to the kitchen. I'm throwing water in my face. And there was a light beam coming through the window of the kitchen. It was dark at night, in the middle of the night. But then I realized the angle was wrong. And uh, something ran out of this light. And I don't believe these things, Whitley. I I have no reason to uh, make these up. I hadn't eaten pastrami sandwich before I went to bed. It wasn't. <laughs> But something ran out of this light, ran through the room, and I got a good look at it. And it almost like was laughing at my response to it. But again, they look almost like x-rays or a, a, a projection, almost like a hologram. Yeah, there's something very strange about the way they look. It's very true. And there's yeah, a, those little creatures have been in this apartment many times, and mostly that they look like that. And folks... I don't think I can explain it any better than John is, but if you've seen them, you'll know that that's just what they're like. They're not completely in the physical world, or at least not in our physical world, I don't think. But this thing exited the room right through the wall, running full blast, and it laughed at me, but I almost felt like uh, it was laughing. In your head. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> It makes sense to those of us who are doing this because that's how it works. If we have just a moment, there's something very serious I want to share with you too. But how, sure. how's your time? Do I have a moment? No, we're good on time. We, we're good on time. We're going to want to say about our free, free side in about ten minutes, and then we're going to go on with the subscribers. We, we lose them. In, oh, we know a strange last wait, night. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I have just seen something on the timer. It is time to close out free dreamland. So Free Dreamlanders, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, I hope you get John's book, The Solar Obliteration Experiment. It's fascinating stuff, full of illustrations, well worth your money. And you'll have a lot of fun with it. And uh, uh, It's on Amazon. And it's on Amazon, exactly. Thank you. Okay. So thank you very much. And we'll see you again next week. Okay, let's go on now. And uh, you were just, okay, we were just starting to get into it. It was a little complicated, so I want to re kind of reconstruct it. Uh, you were getting ready to say something, Ryan, and John, you were, Ryan, what were you going to say? Let's, let, well, let me do it that way. I've had some weird things happen to me lately, especially my ears ringing. But last night was probably the worst my ears have ever rang. And outside my house, I sent some pictures of John this morning, and it kept me up all night. And it was probably the worst I've ever had of my ears ringing. And I've noticed over, you know, especially over the past few weeks, um, the closer I keep getting and the more curious I get, I've gotten, the more little things, nothing like this, what you guys have experienced, but some little things that I've noticed. And I don't know what it was about last night, but it was to the point where, 
my ring, my ears are ringing so bad. And I don't have tetanus or tetanitis or whatever that's called. Um, and um, they were ringing pretty, pretty loud to the point that I couldn't fall asleep. And I don't know what it, what, why that was. It was just very, very strange. I think that when you see things, they start to see you also. Yeah. And Ryan has some amazing still pictures separate from, you know, just hours and hours of doing live stream. The, the new technology is amazing. Now, Whitley, what I wanted to say to you was so serious and personal that it, it almost hurt. But um, I want to say about five, six years ago, I don't know. I, I got a, I'm not a psychic person, but I have had moments in my life of being empathic. And I got this message uh, in my head. It did not seem like it was directed to me per se, but almost like a, uh, a mass mailing, all right? And the impression was that it was Mrs. Strieber trying to have people that can hear her to contact Whitley and tell him that he's not imagining this. That's all I got out of it, that, you know, she was really there. And I Man was. Yes, that she was there in your life, not in my life, but that she was coming into your life like you were almost implying like you were struggling with this. And I sent this message off. And then I thought about how how dare anyone, you know, of, of such a personal, you know, um, when did you do this thing? When, What's that? When did this happen? It was about five or six years ago. I don't really remember exactly, but I sent it to you in a, uh, in a message, a uh, messenger on Facebook. And I was really so scared that um, I sent this and it upset you. But um, I, I got the feeling that Mrs. Streber contacted a lot of your friends or your, you know, oh, yeah. and told you that, no, this is really happening, Whitley. And Oh, I and know. Was just, we, was just Anne and I wrote a book after she passed away called Afterlife Revolution. And I didn't hear from you after that. I thought I really upset you. And no, so just, I, I don't I don't go on Facebook very much. I'm, that I'm really still happened. sort of pre-social media. I try hard, but... Uh, but I, 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 I will put stuff on it, but I'm not good at interacting on it. And I have probably had, never saw this. Have you had anyone else tell you that? Oh, God, yes. Dozens of people. You have to read the book, uh, Afterlife Revolution. And created before she died, uh, she, she, she created, uh, she's the only person in the world who's ever intentionally created an avatar to indicate her presence uh, when she's in the afterlife. And that's the white moth. And I'm not going to go into it because my listeners know all about it already, but I will send you a copy of uh, Afterlife Revolution if you'd like, and you can learn about Anne and what she did and does. But here's the interesting thing. We are recording this on the 31st of January, 2023 the last couple of nights i have been feeling a sense that annie was not with me anymore and then you come up and say this even though it happened years ago it's like a message that's intended from her for me right 
now, today. And I was I was horrified that I could send it out to you and maybe you didn't understand the, the legitimacy of oh, it. Oh, you're such so a personal guy, John. I feel for you and I'm so sorry I didn't respond. Uh, I, when I see you, I feel like you're an old friend and I know I don't actually know you, but You've been part of my life for decades. I've been well. You've been so. part of mine too. You'd be surprised. What were you going to say, uh, Kevin? You, I mean, right to, um, to the death of like before all of this started happening to me. Yeah, I lost my dad. Lost my brother to suicide last October or a year and a half ago now, and I lost my friend at thirty-five years. And I was about done with. I just I told my wife. I said I need something truly amazing to happen in my life to give me a purpose again and literally like four or five days after i told her that i started seeing all this stuff and it's almost like they knew that i needed it if that if that makes sense i i i, well, I sure it does. wrap my my head around it because it came at the the perfect time because i feel like i've got some kind of purpose again like going live and stuff i really enjoy that it's given me life again if that makes sense I mean, I, I know it. I know you guys know, but it's for me in trying to wrap my brain around it. It's like it came at like this perfect time because it's given me this perfect, this purpose again. I've met some really amazing people, you know, especially through my lives and a couple of, you know, my regulars. They're just really tremendous people, and they've they've got, you know, good hearts, and you know, you know, for the most part, you know, you have your trolls here and there, but for the most part, everyone I've met so far it's just been a good soul and a good-hearted person up until now and and you know uh, you know just to from where i was at to where i'm kind of heading and finally getting back and with my purpose going back again it, it's just amazing how it's all worked out yeah it's a it's true to, in the close encounter experience the ufo community there's plenty of trolls yeah but in the close encounter part of it not so many at all I mean, there'll be some people come in to troll around and they, you know, they, 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 uh, they communicate fake experiences and then go online and say, I told Whitley Strieber a complete lie and he believed it. And the, but the truth is I may or may not have believed it. No one will ever know mm -hmm. because my job is not to pass judgment on people. My job is to listen to what they have to say. And so you know that happens to me every once in a while it happens not often but basically this is a nice community it's a very sweet community and a good community and i think the, the our visitors are discriminating they're choosing people who can benefit from this who, who they would want in their lives frankly and there's some connection by the way guys which i'm we're sort of touching on here between the close encounter experience and the dead Annie said one time in, in, when we were working on all the letters, this has something to do with what we call death. And sh she was right. It's connected to that. And that could be, uh, uh, Ryan, why it sort of came into your life after your friend of 35 years committed suicide. Uh, because uh, maybe it was your friend who brought it into your life. Brother did too. Our brother, yeah. yeah. Both, yes. <sighs> In a matter of two years, I lost my dad, my brother to suicide. So I lost my dad to um, 
a heart condition. I lost my brother to suicide, and then I lost my friend of 35 years to suicide in a matter of two years. And it really beat me down, like oh, for my soul. And uh, I really struggled hardcore. And I just, I told my wife, I said, I need, I need some, I need a miracle. And literally three or four days later, you know, all of this started, which was, I, you know, it opens you I, up to yeah. receive a message. And, I think it really does. It is. This is so profound and deep and wonderful. In that we're what we're seeing here is this experience in its in its deep truth. Uh, what happened to you, Ryan? It, it you know I I would bet my bottom dollar that your dead intervened for you and brought you the best thing they could to keep you going and enrich your experience of being. And John, I mean, you have been through so much because of this homelessness uh i mean you've been beaten up and just recently i mean you go on on a show and instead of at least treating you like a decent human being he beats you up he just mocked me there is a perception out there whitley still to this day the people who report these things are either looking for fame or fortune money or attention which is weird because boy does it not give you fortune it costs you everything. It costs your life. In 35 years, I think my total uh, payment has been $300. So I'm not very good at the, uh, for just doing speaking fees or license rights to my videos, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm going to make sure both of you guys have got lifetime subscriptions to Unknown Country. So you can come on the site and be there. And you'll always there. You'll always be with people who are warm toward you, who have had experiences of their own, and is a lot of love there. And, and I know saying this, I'm not in the public part of it. I would never say this in the public part of it, because when you do that, you immediately attract the trolls. Then they want to come on the site and screw everything up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to accept it's not pretty, but it's the human mind. It's the human experience. It ain't pretty, but it, it is... You know, Annie used to always say, if it wasn't for the dark side, we would not be able to see the light. And, you know, she she took me through some years of very serious contemplation of suicide. We were running out of money, losing our cabin, all of that stuff. And I thought to myself, I've still got a lot of insurance. I could pow and she would immediately have enough money to last the rest of her life. And she intuited that and she said Whitley if I cared about money when I met you I never would have married you <laughs> I was making $125 a week in the advertising business in, in 1970 so she I mean she was not marrying a fancy rich guy for sure anyway there's nothing worse than being a famous broke person I could tell you that that is so true and it's dangerous as hell because you know, I'm, I'm I'm loaded with cameras here. I've been invaded. I had to I had to leave the country in order to finish my book because and thank God some people who were they who had not find them on the website took me in abroad and made me part of their family and I finished them sitting at their kitchen table writing with the kids coming and going the dog capering around. 
a whole life of the family going and they just made a little room for me in the corner and I, I wrote my book there and I slept in their house and I felt comfortable and safe. So it can be awful. But literally yeah. the light um, destroys the dark, eliminates the dark. Willie, would you do it again? You know, would you go through your life? Would you read to do it or? You know, my, my answer, oh, on. The, the outside Whitley, the ego Whitley says, hell no. But the inside Whitley says, of course, you're the, they called me at one point. They, the old lady on communion cover said, you're the luckiest of the lucky. And I, I took that to heart and I thought to myself, a few years later, that has to have been the most stupid thing anyone said to me in my life. But now I know she was right because I had the opportunity to bring this into the world. And it is a precious, precious opportunity. And I have braced it as best I can, like you did, John, like you're starting to do, Ryan, uh, to embrace this. And it hurts and it's not fun, but it is so enriching to the soul. It's the richest, I, it's a very beautiful thing to do. I, I first read Majestic and then Communion, and uh, it made me feel like it was okay. I don't know if I can articulate that well, but you gave me uh, enough of a emotional response that it was okay to believe that I actually experienced this and go forward. And it, it personally, it meant a lot to me that Whitley Strieber's work was availed to me. Well, thank you very much. And very sincerely, sir. So, Ryan, yes, sir. where do you go from here? Are you going to keep doing it? I mean, we're going to obviously put a link up to your live stream on, uh, on the show. I mean, on the show page. But why don't you also tell us how to do it? Because that always sticks in people's minds a little better, I think. Yeah, that's what I've, you know... Uh, the, the great thing is having John around. I mean, he really helps mentor me. So, you know, I, I kind of pass that on because as he's teaching me, because I don't, I don't know anything. I've only been doing this seven, eight months. I'm smart enough, smart enough to know that I know nothing. nothing. Um, and, um, you know, as I, as I find my rhythm and what works for me, um, you know, as I'm doing my lives, I try to explain as I'm going through what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, um, you know, and then, you know, I've got a couple of my followers, like one of my followers, she was saying that she was having dreams and stuff and um, about some of this stuff. And I been, I was telling her how I, I've been handling it or how I've been kind of thinking about it, putting out, trying to put out positive energy. Don't, don't think about anything bad. You just want to bring the positive energy in with all this stuff. And just kind of uh, think good about it. And then, you know, as far as going out and, and doing the lives and stuff, I'm trying to get people to come out with me and come out. Because it's always better when you have more than one set of eyes come see it. You know, if you got two or three sets of eyes that see it, um, that always helps, you know, in the in the, the main stream thing, main of things. So, um, I really enjoy it. I, I, really, I really like getting out at 9 o'clock at night going out having people i think i think you know i like going out and, and seeing everything i think that's that's a that's a cool part of it i also enjoy the part where everyone kind of comes together and they're joking together and they're having a good time together you know there's nights where it's real slow we might see one or two things and then 
for the other two and a half hours, we're just BSing and having a good time. And I think that's that's something to enjoy about it too. It's not all about um, just seeing the objects. It's you it's know, like a support community, like a support group. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's exactly what we are for each other, a support group. And you know, there's a there's a there's a experiencer org, and there's other organizations for us. But at the same time, they're not like a twenty four seven community like unknown country is, where you can go on any time, or you can every Wednesday night uh, you can chat, and you know we all get together, and I'm usually there when I can be, and uh, we chat, or and we have uh, weekend video chats with uh, with our guests and we're going to certainly invite you guys on for sure you're going to have a big one i can tell you and you know it's a community this is a community and we're doing we're doing a community together and you know when you have community no one can you can sure you can get kicked around but -hmm. you can go to your community and suddenly you've got power you've got Mm -hmm. someone on your side even if it's only someone to put their arm around your shoulder or to say over Zoom, keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. But the you, first, when you have that, you have power. The first person that I contacted before solar obliteration, but when I saw things in L.A., was Preston Dennett. And I just saw him on your show last weekend. Oh, Preston's been a friend for a long time. These things come full circle. And he wrote the first article about one of my experiences from high school. And... Uh, Help me remember that these things have been happening to me my whole life, and I had forgotten it all. I'm proud of Ryan and almost envious that he's at the beginning of his path. I I saw things and experienced things that I didn't even believe in, and I know they're coming his way, so I try to counsel him a little bit in the temperance, mm-hmm. and preparing himself for that, you know. Mm-hmm. When they come in your house, Whitley knows what I mean. Yeah. Well, you know, that family I was talking about a minute ago when I went to their house, the first night I was there, some a, a disembodied presence took the father's wrist while he was asleep in bed and shook it and I went down. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to get kicked out. <laughs> but, but then I said to him, I said, I think my friends and these are people who know the website very well and have been had an interest in it for years have said they shook your hand because you took me in and, and so, nothing uh, go ahead nothing nothing beats getting the hell scared out of you with friends yeah at the title of the show yes <laughs> It's very true to have people that are yeah. there and because I find myself, even with the experience with Ryan, I'm looking at this thing and I'm in denial. After all my experience, I'm trying to talk myself out of it, but he got a picture. And I know that wasn't a cloud, the first one. And then the second one, I almost got the feeling that we weren't looking at alien technology. I don't believe that. I think we are far beyond... <laughs> you know, as human beings, but why was it hovering over somebody's neighborhood, over their house? That scared me worse than the flying saucer from another dimension. But you know, the cloud, 
That gets back to the question. Annie used to say what the human species, the human species is too young to have beliefs. What we need are good questions. And mm -hmm. these guys know that. And that's why you saw a cloud instead of a silver delta-shaped craft up there. And uh, I love that saying. Yeah, isn't that a great, that's one of the great sayings of all time, I think. It's, it's a saying that anyone can take to heart and make part of their lives and make their lives better for it. Um, the, uh, but that, but that's why you saw a cloud because if you'd seen a Delta craft and taken a picture of it, you'd end up on, on everyone would have to believe it. Of course they still wouldn't. I mean, the skeptics mm -hmm. community would still be screaming and yelling. Oh, that wasn't, that was just a piece of, of aluminum foil. I've heard but, that already. Yeah. Yeah, Everything from a crash to uh, paper airplanes and we're staging this. I know it. Well, you know, they, they they are doing their part in advancing knowledge. The people who are in denial like that, they are actually are doing their part. And I, I know that it sounds crazy. And you think to yourself, and they're going to, some of them will hear this and think of what I'm, I'm helping them. And the answer is yes. Sense. It makes more sense than it, than it does to anything else that I've kind of looked into. Anything that keeps the question open serves the objective of the visitors, which is to increase the intelligence of this species. Well, isn't sometimes the journey's better than the destination? Well, we're on a hell of a journey, and it better be a damn good destination. That's all I have. <laughs> I don't believe in I don't believe in disclosure and mass. I think it's an individual, uh, almost one on one kind of uh, relationship, and uh, so we vet ourselves personally. But the guy on TV is not going to solve this, in no, my opinion. It's not about government paper shufflers coming on and saying, "Look, we found a document, then this might be meaningful, et cetera, and so forth." It's about us. You got that right, John. You're so on. You're so on, on the money with all of this stuff, man. It's very cool. I'm so proud to be your friend. I've missed you, man. You really have uh, affected my uh, my life along the way in my studies and uh, even the spiritual side. Uh, absolutely, you to me, you're a, a social icon, and uh, you're aware. I think that uh, you were on South Park one time too, right? Yeah, it nearly ruined is one of the main things that ruined our life. Really? Because oh you know, yeah, because uh, as soon as as soon as that came out, my sales started to drop. And the reason was, I think, and one of my editors, I believe, came to the same conclusion that people will buy a book from somebody who's controversial. In fact, they love that, mm -hmm. but not from somebody who's a laughing stock. And when they started laughing about my rape. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm one of the few people who's ever been publicly made into a public joke because of being raped. I mean, that's an amazing, so sorry, evil, evil thing to do, but, mm -hmm. the, but the, everything collapsed. We lost the cabin. We lost our lives. At one point, Annie and I were having to make some very hard choices, you know, like how much did we eat in order to pay the rent? You know, that kind of thing was happening. People don't know that part of the story. I mean, uh, no. I lost the manuscripts that I worked on for a decade 
and came back to me miraculously later on. But I mean, I lost everything I ever did in my life. Is that this book? This was one of them, but I was going to ask you about the writing process. I'm running out of time here. But my first book, uh, the, the footnotes on it alone took over two years. And writing the book took about another seven or eight years. And then I found I did not have the ability to be my own proofreader and editor. Never try. You guys did it in the old days. No, if you're going to be a writer, you need a proofreader, you need a copy editor, and you need an editor. I, I am my own editor simply because I've been doing this so long, but I can introduce you to a proofreader and copy editor for sure. If you're I, I paid tens Listen, of we, gotta, we have come to the yeah. end of our time together on Dreamland, folks. And John and uh, Ryan and I could obviously talk all day. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and we're going to be talking to you guys. I mean, you guys, the listeners and watchers uh, in the video, in video chat, very soon it'll be it'll be scheduled on the video chat room and uh you can ask them directly ask them questions about their work and their lives but i urge you this you can do this too everybody listening to this right now probably has had some kind of an experience that means that you're already in contact so get out there with a the camera and see what happens maybe nothing will and maybe it'll disappoint you that's the way this game is played. We just have to keep on chipping away, chipping away. Boy, what an experience this this Dreamland has been. The solar obliteration experiment, experiment John F. Wilkie, W-I-L-K-I-E. Go to Amazon and get this book. You can do two things. You can help yourself open your own mind and help this guy who has put so much of his life into this. So it's we a love you, win, win. Okay. Thank you very much for being with us, everybody. And we'll be back with you on dreamland next week. It was an honor, sir. You've been listening to dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.